right, Mark chapter 15. Mark 15. We're down to verse 22, and uh, we're going to pick up here. Uh, we're at really here in Mark 15, the, uh, one of the most critical uh, events in all of human history is about to take place, and that is the crucifixion of our, of, uh, of our Lord. And here at the crucifixion, we got down through verse 22, 23. I want to pick back up in a couple things in 22 and then just kind of see what's going on here. As we, He's ready to go now and to drink of the cup that the, that the Father has uh, prepared for him, has given him, um, and so forth. Verse 22, and they bring him unto the place Golgotha, which is, being interpreted, the place of a skull. Uh, the Golgotha is the Hebrew word, and it is a word that is used to, uh, come over to Luke 23, it is a word used in the Hebrew to describe the, the, the hill that the Lord is crucified on. And it, the, the, again, the word, like the verse says, being interpreted is the place of a skull. And it, it's... Sometimes that word is, is translated in uh, the place of skulls, plural. So, it, and some will say, well, that's because it's in the shape of a skull. Not really, sorry. It's just a hill, okay? And it's a very significant hill, and it's a place outside of Jerusalem where they executed people, both the Romans and the Jews. Uh, the Jews' execution was stoning. Rome was crucifixion. So it, for the Jews, they had to be outside of the city to, to, to execute anybody, and so they couldn't be in the city. So Christ is going to be crucified outside of the city, and, and that's going to be telling here uh, because that his crucifixion is a picture of the sin offering. In, in Leviticus, there are four offerings. Uh, the, the, the sin offering... And the trespass offering are what are called burnt offerings. And again, you got four offerings. Guess what you got? Four gospels, and they match up. And you have the, the meat offering and the peace offering. So Christ here at Calvary now, he's going to go and be crucified. And he's going to go that offering up of that sin offering. And that all takes place outside of the camp, outside of the city. The burnt, off, the, the burnt offering, whether that's the sin or the trespass, are burnt on the ground. They're never on the altar. And they're what is called the sweet savor. The smoke sends up and, and it's well-pleasing. The other ones aren't burnt. And, and by the way, burnt is burnt. I mean, there's nothing left. So now, Christ, again, Christ is going to be crucified outside of the city. And again, where that sin offering is to be offered up. And the place here... And, and it is going to be Golgotha, Luke 23. Uh, by the way, you think about a cemetery. And my dad, my grandpa and my dad always said, you go by a cemetery and go, oh, look, skull orchard, because that's what it is. And that's literally what we're doing, what we're talking about here. And again, not to be crude or rude, but, you know, you know a cemetery, everybody's dying to get in. You know, that's what's happening. Huh, boom, okay. Yeah, you know, but it, it's just, a, you know, <laughs> you, you, you figured that one out, Paul, huh? <laughs> okay. 
a big groan from the front row here. So, but when you think about Golgotha, it, it's a, it's a, it is it's just that it's a it's a skull orchard. It's a place where everyone is executed. In Luke twenty three, verse thirty three. I'm sorry, verse thirty eight. No, thirty three. Sorry. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary. There they crucified him and the male factors, one on the right hand and one on the, on, and the other on the left. And Calvary is, a, is the Latin word that means the place of a skull. So, Cal, so Matthew, Mark, and John use Golgotha, the, the Hebrew word. Luke used Calvary, the Latin word. Uh, if you look down there at verse 38 about the superscription in Greek, Latin, and Hebrew, those are the three major languages of, of the, the time of the Lord. And there, no Aramaic. No, Aramaic is Greek. It's what it is. Say, oh, you know, they get all goofy when they start talking. The book says that these three are the major languages. Why? Everybody coming by speaking those three languages would be able to read the signs. So the Gentile word for the Hebrew place called Golgotha is Calvary. Now what the New Bibles do is they pull that word out, so now we don't have, we can't sit, sing our songs, go to years of spent at Calvary anymore. And yet, and they do that because they don't understand what's happening here and what's going on. So the, and by the way, Luke is presenting the Lord as the man, on Sunday nights, we've seen as we've gone through it, that issue of where Luke, not only does he deal with Israel's Messiah, but then he reaches over here and brings in the Gentile into the conversation as well. Because it's through Israel and Israel's Messiah then, that the Gentiles then are blessed. And Luke uses terminology about all flesh and all men. And it isn't that they're going to be on their own like we are today in the age of grace, but it's through Israel, reach over here and bring in. Therefore, he uses, a lot of times, he'll use the Latin because it's of the Gentile world. And, and, and they yank it out because they really don't understand that. They don't understand the perspective that Luke is coming to. So when you come back to Mark 15, and by the way, those people that yank that verse, that word out of that verse, they don't get mad about Mark 1-2 where it talks about Isaiah instead of prophets, see, they don't get mad about that, but they do about Calvary, and, and it's just uh, it's, it's, it's ironic and it's too bad. So Hebrew, Latin, same place. It's describing the place where they're going to ex of execution. And the, the, it's the place of death. It's the place of, of the skull. And they're going to take him, and again, it's outside of the city. Now, if you look back up at verse 17, where we were last time when we came down through these guys are doing stuff, the Roman soldiers here are doing stuff, they don't realize that they're fulfilling Scripture. They're just doing what comes natural to them. They're, they're angry, they're mocking him, they're, you know, they got the purple, they got the scarlet. But notice in verse 17 that they platted a crown of thorns and put it about his head. And we looked last time about that issue of thorns. See, that symbol of the curse that God placed upon creation because of the sin of man. So the, the crown, they crown him with the curse, the curse of death, sin. They put it on his head because, it, and, and where that comes from is Adam and Eve, they just had bad thinking. 
and you think about the, the, the man's sin comes from deadly thinking, bad thinking. So here's Christ. He's going to be crucified for us because we've had deadly thinking that produced sin and death. And so they throw that crown on him. But now, verse 22, they're taking him to the place of death. They're, he's going to the place where the, the, the ultimate conclusion of man's wickedness and sinful is, sin is going to be on sinfulness, is going to be on display. And he's going there. So they're not just taking the crown, you know, they're taking him to the place that's representing death. They got the crown, the curse on him. They come over here, they're doing things. And again, they have no idea of what they're doing. They don't understand any, they're just doing it because this is what we do. So when, you, when we get into this stuff, you have to remember that. The Roman soldiers, they're Gentile dogs, they're unbelievers, they're lost, hell-bound sinners. They have no clue what they're doing. They're just doing it because Pilate said, let's do it. And again, they over and over and over again, we'll see this as we go through, that they do this, they're fulfilling Scripture. They do this, they fulfill Scripture. And, the, and the, that's just the, 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 the storyline here as we see the travail of his soul. And the things that are going on inside of the Lord here in his thinking inside of him as we go through here. There's things that are happening. The Lord is fully aware of it. He's been beaten. He, he, he's, uh, verse 21, they have to get him help to, to, to bear his cross. They bring him now to Calvary, uh, to Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of the skull. They're going to take him outside of the city. Now, come with me to Hebrews chapter 13, this outside of the city issue. So, again, they don't understand what they're doing. They just, the Roman soldiers are doing what Rome does. Jerusalem, the chief priests, they're doing what they're doing because that's what they do. And yet the Lord's going through it because he's fulfilling Scripture. Hebrews 13, look at verse 10. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Okay, so we, the Jews, Israel, the Hebrews, what is, we're burning the sin offering outside of the camp. The out where the, that's where it's going to all happen. So guess what? Like that is the issue. The Lord's fulfilling it by doing what? The same thing. When you go back, come back to Leviticus chapter 4. Leviticus chapter 4. I thought about this, thinking about it. Leviticus 4, um, you have the issue here. Uh, the sweet savor, the sin offering issue is in four, Leviticus 4. If you come back to chapter 2, verse 1, and when any will offer a meat offering unto the Lord. Okay, so if you think about meat, this isn't beef or chicken or turkey. This is the, the, the meat of the apple. It's, it, in this case, it gets to be fine flour and so forth, but they don't always have fine flour. 
The Lord told Adam and Eve, you can eat of the meat of the tr- off the trees here, the fruit. So don't limit it to just fine flour. Chapter 3, and if his oblation be a sacrifice of peace offering. Chapter 4, verse 2, speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a soul shall sin through ignorance against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning this. And so now we have the, the sin offering. And if you look down at verse 12, even the whole bullock shall he carry forth without the camp unto a clean place where the ashes are poured out and burn him on the wood with fire. Where the ashes are poured out shall he be burnt. So we're outside of the camp. Uh, It's the issue of atonement and so forth. Chapter 5, you have the trespass offering and so forth. So when you come back to Mark 15, that's where we're at here. He's going to Golgotha, the place where they're going to execute him, the place of death. And again, he's going to be made a curse. That's where we're at. And yet when you think about, um, you know what, actually, let's go on over to Genesis 22. When you think about Golgotha, Calvary, Genesis 22, it it is literally uh, a very important um, place in Israel's history. And it's Genesis 22. I just dropped it. Look at that. Genesis 22. (laughs) We, We know now through the completed revelation of the wonderful picture of Calvary that it gives us, of the, uh, a, pick, a type of the crucifixion of Christ and so forth. When Moses writes this, he's not thinking about the cross at all. When Abraham and Isaac go through, they're not thinking about, they know nothing about the cross yet. Moses knows nothing about it. We know progressively, full capstone's done. We look back and say, okay, there it is. So, when you read this, verse 1, you begin to see the, the significance of the mount that the Lord's going to be crucified on. It's outside of the camp. It's outside of the city of Jerusalem. And it's going to be exactly where all of this takes place. 22.1. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee. Now, he doesn't tell you which burnt offering he's going to be doing, but again, he's going to do what? Sin or trespass, that's the only two. Okay? But notice my own, your only son, Isaac. What does Abraham know? Abraham knows something here. He knows, he understands the seed line issue. But what else does he understand? He's going to go offer up his son. So now for three days, because it's going to take him three days to get there, Isaac has been dead in dad's mind. See, Because what are we, we're going to go, verse 2, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. 
So God's going to tell him where to go. Verse 4, then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. So we're there now. A three days journey. We're there. Verse 5, and Abraham said unto his young men, abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again. So what else does Abraham know? Abraham knows he's the seed, he's the one, he's got to be resurrected. I'm going to go kill him, and God's got to resurrect him because he's the seed. See, and Abraham, Abraham is not operating in ignorance here. Abraham knows some things. He understood what God just told him. You're going to go up there and you're going to kill your only son. You're going to kill the seed line. You're going to kill the promised seed. But what am I going to do? I'm going to resurrect him. Because if, <laughs> if you kill him then and he's the one, I've got to do this. Now, again, that's why in Hebrews 11, talking about this event, he, 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 the comment there or the verse says that he received him back. He's a figure. Abraham doesn't kill Isaac. He doesn't have to be resurrected, but what's on the table? All of that is on the table. So if he had killed him, God would have resurrected him back. That's why that verse 1, that tempt there, Hebrews eleven seventeen, 17, testing, tried. There, see, the idea here of, of a trial and a test, uh, you, you're going to temper. You're going to use it to temper the steel, make it stronger. So what Abraham is learning to do here is to trust God's word no matter what. That's all, that's all that the Lord's doing with Abraham here. I made you a promise. I made Isaac the, 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 the inheritor, the seed. I got Jacob's coming, but here we go. And you need to trust me. So if you think about what's happening here for three days in the mind of Abraham, his son has been dead. But yet, also, he knows about the issue of resurrection. And again, that's what's happening with Christ and the events at Calvary and the three days and so forth, okay? So you have to remember that here in, in this verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they both of them together. So who's toting the wood, i.e. the cross? The son is. What's the Lord do? Totes his cross, okay? So the, the, the pictures here, again, the trespass offering, the sin offering, okay? And that's where we're at. Now, verse 7, And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. By the way, what does the Lord say? Father, forgive them. Then he says, my God, my God, you know, boom. But father, my father, and he said, here am I, my son. And he said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Okay. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. So we're going to have an offering, a burnt offering. Again, we don't know which one it is, the trespass or the sin. That's the, the meat offering and the peace offering. They're not a sweet savor. They don't get burned up. This one does. By the way, Mark focuses in on the sin offering, Matthew on the trespass offering. Okay? 
So you got some similar, but both of both the trespass and the sin deal with sin. They deal with the sins and then the sin nature. Trespass, the sins, you broke the law, you trespassed the law, your, your activity, sin, offer, sin. So both of them have to be paid. That's why Matthew focuses in on one, Mark focuses in on the other. Abraham, again, picture here, we're going to offer it. They go together. They have a conversation back and forth. They got, yeah, you can just see Isaac. All right, Dad, where's the animal? <laughs> okay. But no, just notice verse 8. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb. Now, you can read that a couple ways, can't you? God will provide himself, or God will provide himself a lamb over here in the bushes which is what he does, okay, the angel of the Lord comes and so forth. But either way, what's he doing here? He's providing. So when you let your eye drop across the page to verse 14, and Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. Jehovah-Jireh, the mount of the Lord, Jehovah-Jireh talks about the, the, our Lord who will provide. Literally, what Abraham's doing here is one of the early Jehovah compound names, because we haven't got to Israel yet or in Egypt, is he's God's going to provide himself a lamb. But where are we? We're on a very specific piece of ground where all of this is happening. It's a three-day journey from, come over to 2 Chronicles chapter 3. I'll give you a minute to find that one. 2 Chronicles 3. It's a three days journey from where Abraham was. It's a very specific place. The name of the place is Jehovah Jireh because it's here where all of this is going to take place. So it's very special. Now, 2 Chronicles 3, we're going to see where this place is at. And, and, and again, over you know, it's not forgotten. This place is very significant in Israel's history and so forth, and it's a very special place in the worshiping of Jehovah. Second Chronicles 3, verse 1. Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah, where the Lord appeared unto David his father in the place that David had prepared in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. And he began to build in the second day of the second month in the fourth year of his reign. So where is Solomon building the temple, the house of God? Mount Moriah. Genesis 22, if you still got it, where did the Lord send Abraham? To the land of Moriah. Okay, and to one of the mountains, and I'll tell you where it is. So in 2 Chronicles 3... He's, Solomon here is going to start building, and he's going to build on the very place where Abraham offered Isaac in type, the very place where Jehovah is providing, for him, providing a lamb, the very place where Dad David just bought it from uh, Ornan, uh, uh, Ornan so it's very specific. It's not just a, eh, we'll go over here on, you know, South Mountain. No, it's 
Camelback Mountain. That's where it is. And so when you think about all that's going on here, um, it's not just a willy-nilly, you know, okay, we'll do this right here. No, this is where it's at. Now, you're in 2 Chronicles. Come back to 1 Chronicles, chapter 21. So when you study out this uh, 1 Chronicles 21, this is, so uh, Samuel and Kings is man's viewpoint of history. Chronicles is God's viewpoint of that same history. It's in Chronicles that God says that Saul was a devil, was a beast. Okay? But yet in the Kings, what was Saul? A great man, king. So you've got things like, so when you read Chronicles, you're reading God's view of the same history. Samuel and Kings, here's human viewpoint. Here's what the human you know, historians look at. So in 1 Chronicles 21, you look at there verse 18, then the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go up and set up an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. And David went up. At the, at the saying of Gad, which he spake in the name of the Lord, and Oren turned back and saw the angel and his four sons with him, hitting themselves. Now Ornan was threshing wheat, and as David came to Ornan, and you know what you end up having? You end up, verse 25, so David gave to Ornan for the place 600 shekels of gold by weight. See? He just bought it. And David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings and called upon the Lord and he answered him from heaven by fire upon the altar of the burnt offering. The Lord commanded the angel and he put up the sword again into the sheaf and at the time when David saw that the Lord had answered him in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite, then he sacrificed there for the tabernacle of the Lord which Moses made in the wilderness and the altar of the burnt offering were at the, that season in the high place at Gibbon. But David could not go before it to inquire the Lord, for he was afraid because of the sword of the angel of the Lord. <laughs> so there is, he bought, what did he buy? He bought the very place that was going to be needed. Not only is it the place of Abraham and Isaac, not only is it going to be where Solomon's going to build the house, but it's literally going to be Jerusalem. And this place that he buy, that David buys here ultimately becomes Jerusalem. Now, come to John 19. Again, very significant, uh, John 19. Um, you know, when you say stuff, then verses fly through your head like wings on a, on a dove. In, in Genesis 14, you got Melchizedek, king of Salem. Salem, Jerusalem, that's, he's the first king of, of Jerusalem, Melchizedek. So you got things like that. This stuff isn't just lost to the, out there into the no man. It's very important. It's very critical. So in John 19, if you look here at verse 16, then delivered he him, therefore unto them to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth, just like Isaac, into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. 
So he's led away. Again, it's not just throwaway information here. Why did he go to Golgotha, Calvary? Because it's the very mount that Abraham offered Isaac on, that David purchased and got ready. It's the very place. David buys it, the ground. This, this is where Jerusalem is. It's not in the city. It's outside of the city. Okay. Now, I've never visited Israel. I've never been there. But I've, my understanding is where they take you and say this is Mount Calvary is not the real place and so forth. And I couldn't tell you yay or nay, but leave it to man to corrupt all of that and to charge you 20 bucks to go see it, okay? But the thing is, the point is here is in the scriptures when God, so where God is going to put his throne is exactly where he's crucified, where Abraham, Isaac, David, all of this history in Israel, it's exactly right there. And it's, so Christ is taken, uh, come back to Mark 15. Christ is taken outside of the city, and he's taken there to be the sin offering. So as we just look down now, starting here, uh, we touched on verse 23 a little bit last time, but just to get going back in it, there's tremendous fulfillment of scriptures like that. I don't want you to think that Golgotha and Calvary are just taking up space on the page. It's very significant land area where they're at, the place of the skull. So 1523, and they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. So again, they're going to give him the morphine, the, dead, the deadening agent, the desensitizer, uh, a sedative. Uh, they did that to calm him down therefore making them easier to kill, okay? And, and, and they did that, but yet he said no because he is to taste death in its fullness. He's to taste death for every man, and it can't be dulled down. That, that verse in Revelation 14, if you run over there just real quick, verse 10. Uh, this isn't him. This is some folks that are getting cast into, the lake of, into hell in the lake of fire. 14.10 of Revelation, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in presence of the holy angels in the presence of the... You see that without mixture? That's what the Lord had to do. When he looked at that cup in the garden, he's looking into it in the wrath of God without mixture. So in 15.23, if he takes the, the myrrh, that's the deadening, the, the, the sedative agent, then he, he begins to, he, it diminishes the tasting of the death. And he can't happen. It's got to be without mixture. Verse 24, and when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, whatever man should take. Now, all of that right there is fulfillment of Scripture. Okay, and it's and, and again, they're going to kill him. They've taken him to be crucified. Now, just think about the Roman guard. We're going to kill him. He's a dead man walking. Just strip him down, hung him up there naked. We don't. We're going to cast. We're going to take his stuff. Well, come back to Psalms 22. It's a fulfillment of it. And and and, and again, it's not to be, you know, gross or anything. It's the tremendous. It's. <laughs> In our study in 1 Corinthians, we're in verse 17 and 18, and I was talking about the wisdom of words and the sugarcoating of the gospel. 
because they don't like the ugliness of it. They don't like the violence of it. They don't like any, what it repre- any of it, the offensiveness. So what do they do? They, they whitewash it down a little bit, take all that away. Don't do that. The Calvary was a very vicious, violent, ugly, offensive issue. And the offense really is over. The offense of the cross is it tells man you can't do anything, and he did it all. <laughs> so you got to get out of yourself and get over here and get in him. You, you, Psalms 22, great chapter on, on uh, the first half of the chapter is about Calvary. The second half of the chapter, starting in verse 22 there, is about the, the kingdom, the glory. So you have what First Peter 1 calls the sufferings of Christ and then the glory to follow. And you have it here. So the, they're going to crucify him. They're going to kill him. Now, again, the Jews' execution was stoning. They couldn't do that. They didn't have a legal right to do it, but Rome is crucifixion. And the crucifixion issue has to do with the fact of them hanging on a cross. And they, they, in crucifixion, they hang them up there alive, they beat them, then they hang them up like that, and then they suffer the exposure. Uh, you, you remember Saul's wife, and she beat away the birds on the dead bodies of her boy? It's that kind of idea. So and then eventually they are going to die on public display for everybody to walk, walk by and mock them and look at them. Psalms 22, here's why, verse 14. 22, 14. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. I mean, think about it. They beat on him, so they dislocated his bones. They're out of joint. And the ones that they didn't dislocate when they hung him up, I mean, they dig a hole in the ground, everything's done, laid down, and they drop, and then they drop. He's got the nails in his hands. He's got the nail in He's got the crown. And then, bam, and just that mere force of the gravity, bam. That jerked the rest of them out of whack. <laughs> my heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Thou hast brought me into the dust of death. He's all dried up. That's why later he's going to say, I thirst, to get him to do Psalm 69. Verse 16, for dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Now, think about the dogs. Who's that? Gentiles. There's, the Ro- there's Rome. The assembly of the wicked. There's Israel. Apostate Israel. They're around him. By the way, if you look back up at verse 12, many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me. You see the bulls there? The bull is the major symbol picture for Baal worship. The bulls of Bashan there is a description of the spiritual condition happening around the cross. And guess what it is? It ain't good. It's all that Baal worship stuff, and it's all that uh, apostasy. See, So there's things happening here. He's describing here, verse 16, they pierced my hands and my feet. There's, there, he's describing not only the spiritual character and those that are around him, but he's describing the manner in which they're killing him. Okay? They, they've got him beaten. 
he's poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. I'm, I'm dry tongue. I, the dust, they're around me. And I just, he's just physically beaten down. He's ready to die. But yet the Lord never bows his head. He, you know, he's there. He's conscious. What's interesting in verse 16 is that they pierced my hands and my feet. That is uh, really the only place that you read that in that description. Okay? So then what happens is naturally you begin to get the argument about how was that piercing? How, what does the cross really look like? I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Well, that's what they do because they've got ideas out there that they just can't let be. Okay? They got, you know, all these different ideas. So what do we have? Again, Psalms 22 is going to be on the board, all about the crucifixion. And again, when David writes Psalms 22, he does not know anything about Calvary. He's writing about this, this issue of death. That's what six, you, you read Psalm 69. And you, people always ask me, because I usually always say, when, when the lost die, they are drowning is what they're doing. Their soul is drowning. That comes out of Psalm 69, the mire and the mud. And they can never catch their breath, if you will. If you think about, I hope you haven't drowned because you're sitting here. But if you think about getting where you can't catch your breath, they literally have this free fall about them all the time, and they can never catch it. And I'm sitting there going, you're talking about an anxiety attack. Oh, my goodness, man. You know, I can't take close. You know, it's like, Phew. but that comes out of Psalm 69. So here, 22, what do we have? We're talking about crucifixion. Now, in Psalms 22, he never says crucifixion. He just describes it because crucifixion is a relatively new method of, of execution. It starts with the Phoenicians. It's adopted and perfected by Rome. By the time of the Lord's, uh, uh, come over to uh, John 20. Come down to John. Well, yeah, hold on to Psalms 22 just for a second. And then, so when he talks there in Psalms 22:16 about nailing his hands and his feet and stuff, he's talking about crucifixion. David doesn't write. He's just talking about what's going through. Actually, he's talking about the time when he, you know, was under the gun. But when you come now to like John 20, because, again, the issue was the cross and an X this way, or was it, you know, how we think about the cross, or was it just a straight spear, okay, and he was like this, Okay, or was he in a cross, you know? However, can't do it without falling over, okay? So what happens is, is you got to go into the Scripture because guess what you get in Scripture? Great education, great little details, John 20. Look at John 20, 24. But Thomas, one of the 12, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord, but he, that's Thomas, said unto them, Except I see in his hands the print of the nails, 
and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into the side, I will not believe. Now, notice what happened there. What did Thomas just validate, confirm, protect? What the cross looked like. You see how he says nails, plural, hands? So it wouldn't have been this. It would have been what? This. Because if it was this, it would have been nailed. They nailed his feet. Back there in Psalms 22, they pierced my hands and my feet. Only, only reason in profit. What, so what does the cross have? It's, it's, got a, it's got a board, doesn't it? Okay? You've got an inscription on it. Come back to Mark 15. And Mark 15 in verse 26. Mark 15, 26. So you clearly, again, little details. And the reason I'm bringing this up is don't miss the little details. One of the guys asked me a question about how do you know what's going on in John's a little deeper? It's called reading. It's called studying. Ooh, big, big theological breakthrough. Because if you read, then what do you catch? Nails, plural, not singular. You catch those things, and you go, wait a minute. Okay, this is what this looks like. Look at Mark 15, verse 26. And the superscription of his accusation was written, what? Over the king of the Jews. Was written over. Over what? Over the head of Christ. Say, over his head. So as he's hanging here, then what's the main pole doing? It's going up beyond. And they were able to put this, the superscription up there. So the narrative about the cross, it's a simple beam with the cross member with enough room above to put the sign, to hang the sign. They nail his hands so he's outstretched. The feet are nailed together, and boom, down he goes. By the way, it is very interesting that Thomas doesn't say, I need to see his feet. I need to see his, his hands and his side. But again, just the little, the, the incidental things in the passage. They begin to answer the question. And again, you just pay attention. Again, read. But when you begin to think about this, it's very important. You're in John. Hold on to John. Run back to Mark 15. Mark 15, 24. And when they had crucified him, so they nail him up there, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. All of that is done in fulfillment of Scripture. All of it. Psalms 28, or I'm sorry, Psalms 22, 18, and so forth. Now, go back to John and look at John 19, because watch it, watch the detail. John 19. And again, Mark is... Right to the point. Bottom line, it's simple phrase. He's not all this other. You get over here in John and Mark and Matt, uh, Luke and Matthew, and you see more. Look at John 19 and verse um, 23. So why was the Lord crucified? Because Scripture said that's how he's going to be. The events, Rome did what they normally do. The apostate nation does what they do. But Scripture said he's going to be died. Why was his hands nailed? Because Scripture said that's what's going to happen. 
John 19 and verse 23. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be. That the scriptures might be, now the that the scriptures might be filled is John's commentary. The Rome don't know this. They say what? That's a good piece of garment. We're leaving that alone. We're going to cast the lots on, we'll, we'll run the dice game on that. John adds that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Okay? So they're going to, again, Psalms twenty-two eighteen. it's now fulfilled. They take the details. They take his clothes. They put them in four piles. Boom. They take his, again, he's naked. He's up there, public display. He's not going to need it. Let's pile them up. Let's get them up. But the vesture, it's a good piece of cloth. Let's leave it alone. But what do they do? They cast lots. Now, come to Proverbs 16. So what happens then is, oh, casting lots, you know, an axe. Peter and the guys cast lots to choose Matthias. Oh, they're just, they're gamblers. Gambling's bad, right? No, not. <laughs> now, casting lots that Rome was doing, the soldiers are doing, that's that high game of chance. That's the gambling game. That's what they're doing. Have you ever played uh, right, left, or center? You know, the little dice game. You know, great game. You know, you, you end up killing everybody, but, you know, if, especially if you do it at our house because... You never would know. You look at my girls, and you'd think they're nice and sweet and meek. But when the games come out, the, the Jordan side shows up. You know, we're winning at all costs. But the thing is, is that's what they were doing. But when you think about Israel, Proverbs 16 here, verse 33, that wasn't, how, that wasn't the way it was. What, the lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. In Israel's case, casting of Lot was not like what the soldiers were doing over there. It was a way for God to communicate some stuff to Israel. And you go back to Numbers and Kings and, and Ezekiel, and the way that God decided to divvy up the land, it was all by Lot. And they would cast a lot. And so there was, let's see who gets what. And again, Israel's completely different. They're not doing a high game of chance and, you know, all of that. But rather, they're looking at it, go, Israel looks at it and says, okay, here's what we're doing. But the Roman soldiers, Mark 15, when they're doing it, they're, they are doing it to win, to take the garment, to take the piece of the garment. And if you think about that garment, come back there, uh, come over to Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61. You think about that garment that covered the Lord and the garment issue. Where are, so they put a crown of curse on him. They take him over here to the place of the skull, the place of death. It's a cursed death. But yet they take, they're taking his clothes and his garments and they took all of that away. But yet what did they do with them? 
They clothed themselves. They covered themselves. Remember, what, did, what happened with, in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve fell? Do you remember Operation Fig Leaf? They went up and sold the fig leaves to what? To cover up. See? And what did God do to them? In the end of that chapter, he went and gave them a covering of animal skins. See? Uh, it did, Adam and Eve, Operation Fig Leaf didn't work. God came along and then provided a covering for them that did work. Isaiah 61, if you look at verse 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe, there's the vesture, of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. Look at that. For Israel now, what did he, the Lord, he's going to go die on the cross. He's providing the garments of salvation and the robes of righteousness for his people, Israel. They take the Roman soldiers... Now, Paul comes in, again, big shine, a big old light on it, and says, not only for them, but now for who? For all of humanity. But think about the Roman soldiers. They come in, they're covering themselves. Even in the wickedness of unbelief, i.e. Rome, even in the shadow of the cross, there's this unconscious activity that they're doing that's painting this picture of the whole event. See, they're doing what they don't know it. They don't. It's unbelief. But yet, what did they just do with that garment, that robe of righteousness? They went and covered up themselves with it. You know, the guy probably just thought, "Man, I got a nice piece of material. Well, the wife's going to be happy tonight." Woo, you know. And yet, the picture that's painted. So when you come back to Mark 15. Again, not to belabor it, verse 24, moving on. There, don't, I would say don't get down in the weeds and stay there, but in these weeds we need to stay in because there, there's pictures being painted, unconscious, the unconsciousness of, of unbelief, the wickedness of unbelief. There's an unconsciousness of activity that paints the whole picture, and Rome is right in the middle of it. Verse 24 and, they, and when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. So now you got the third hour. Uh, and, and again, a lot of things happen there. Mark is cutting in. The, the third hour, this is on Jewish time, okay? Uh, John actually uses Roman time. It's very interesting how they bounce back and forth. So there's a time schedule. So the third hour is roughly 9 a.m., if you will. So for three hour, 9 to noon, they crucify him. Verse 33, if you drop down, and when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Now you've got, you, you've got more information. See, now you're noon to three. So you got six hours. So you, you've got all of this information. Mark is quick. But, it, but you go to John 19 and Luke and so forth, and you begin to see the hours of the travail of his soul. 
and how things just get stretched out. Here, it's instant. And you see it the best in verse 26 with the inscription. The superscription of, of his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. Okay? Now, get Matthew 27, get Luke 23, and get John 19. And you can do it. Okay? Luke 23, Mark 15, Matthew 27, John 19. And just fold the book, fold the pages over. Okay? Let's go to, I want to show you something here with this superscription, because this is a big bone of contention with people when it comes to your King James Bible. Because all four say something different. And they go, see, it can't be right. Which one is it? Well, it's all four. Because, again, the Lord is presented in four pictures. Okay? Pilate is the one that writes this. It's interesting. In John, they say, take it down. He goes, nope, I wrote it. It's staying. <laughs> okay. But Pilate writes it. In Matthew 27, verse 33, they go to the hill. They go to Golgotha. Verse 37, and set up, up over his head, his accusation written, this is he, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. So, so Matthew says what? This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. What did Mark say? King of the Jews. Okay? Go to Luke 23 and verse 38. Luke 23, 38. And the superscription also was written over him in the letters of Greek and of Latin and Hebrew. Again, the three languages. Hebrew, the national language, okay? This is the king of the Jews, all right? So what do we got? <laughs> we got Matthew, this is Jesus, king of the Jews. We got Mark, king of the Jews. And then we got Luke saying, this is king of the Jews. Takes, you know, drops in and, well, which one is it? Well, it's all of them. Now go to John 19. Because we're going to make you go, what? John 19, verse 19. By the way, the Hebrew, the Greek, the Latin, those three languages, if you run the countries in Acts 2 and the list there that are there at Pentecost, by the way, they would have been here for Passover three times a year, Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles, they're here. They would have been here. Saul of Tarsus was here. It's, not, it's just a year or so later that he's on the road to Damascus. He's here. He's witnessing this. He sees it. So the three languages is for everybody in the room or passing by to see what's happening. So this isn't out on the back end of nowhere. This is outside of the gates, outside of the city, prominent. Three nine, uh, John 19, 19. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. By the way, verse 21 then, then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but what he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. You, you don't get out of here, Bubba. You're in my domain name. 
But notice what the, 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 the title said. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. See? So which one is it? It's John 19. It's all four of them. But John 19 is the official one. Okay? The official up above him was Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Why? John presents him as who he is, the son of God. John presents him as king, servant, man. He's it. He is everything. He is Jehovah. You'll learn that Sunday. So come Sunday. He's Jehovah. Mark, the king of the Jews. Why? Because that's the issue. That was the issue with Pilate. That, was, that is the issue. So Mark comes in and he, he simplifies the statement. He gets it down to the bare. What is the, what is the issue here? He's the king of the Jews. And we've seen that in Mark. Matthew, this is Jesus. Well, what, who is Jesus? He's the king. Luke, this is the king. Here's the man. We don't have all of that. Here, Mark, again, right to the simplicity of it, where the whole statement is John 19, okay? Mark, Matthew records the piece where he's looking at Mark right to it. What was, whole, what was Pilate's whole issue in Mark? You said you're the king of the Jews. What say ye? The Lord looks at him and says, did you say it or somebody tell you that? Why? Because Mark's or Pilate's worried about the insurrection issues and so forth. So when you come back in over here, we'll pick up in some of this in a couple weeks here when I get back. Just I don't want you to lose the detail because the detail, I mean, we didn't run all the verses. You could spend all night off of one verse running all the fulfillments. But it's just Psalms 22 is a big one. Isaiah 53, they're big and so forth, Proverbs and everything. But what happens is, is Pilate, or I'm sorry, the crucifixion, everybody saw it. And what you begin to see now is you begin to see the hours, the travailing of the soul. And we'll go back into the time schedule, the third hour and all that good stuff, okay, if I remember, okay. But just, I don't want you to miss the detail of it, the little things. The, the, the plurality of nails and hands and so forth. Just the little things because those are what makes this pop for you and I. Because we have a full revelation understanding and we can shine it back in and go, wow, there it is. We can go back and look at the first time I ever heard anybody ever talk about Genesis 22. I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. Well, then as you grow and learn and grow, you go, wow, look at that. Okay, look at this piece and this piece. And that's literally what you know, we should be able to do because we have the completed word and we're able to do that. Again, leaving it where it is and who it's talking to and yet understanding all of the details, okay? All right. And by the way, always remember the point of view because <laughs> the point, that's where people get in and argue. And, you're, and I had a guy years ago, he's like, oh, you know, you're wrong, blah, blah, blah. And I just looked at him and I said, so you teach me Matthew then. And he's like, well, I go, don't, don't McGee me. Don't go get Dobson and these guys. You teach me. And he's like, well, I don't have time. I'm like, okay, I just spent two years, three years teaching you. But he didn't like the point of view, the portraits. And it was tough for him to, you got to get that so that you understand why these little differences 
Why the little things? Again, Mark is right to the point, and we've seen that from Mark 1.1. 1, 1. So, okay. All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, or for the morning, for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word and the study of it and to look into these things where we begin to see the, the real issues here of the crucifixion and what was really going on. In your name we pray. Amen.